Welcome to the Canny Conversations podcast, Conversations with a Cause with social entrepreneur Safraz Ali. He coined a phrase that describes what he does as the mad entrepreneur. That's make a difference entrepreneurship. As well as being the author of the Canny Bites books, Saf's business interests cover health and social care, business and corporate events, as well as him being the CEO of Pathway Group, a welfare to work and skills provider. In each episode, we have a special guest joining Saf in discussion with journalist and broadcaster Adrian Kibler. This week, Saf is joined by journalist and broadcaster Tony Adams to talk about the power of the spoken word, in particular, the power of radio. So let's join the conversation. Welcome to another Canny Conversation with a Cause, a conversation that we hope will captivate your curiosity cannily. And on this occasion, we're talking about communication. In fact, more specifically, we're talking about an element of communication, which is the spoken word. And to drill down a little bit further, we're talking about more specifically uh, radio. We couldn't have somebody much better to join us today to talk about radio. Tony Adams. Tony is a journalist and a broadcaster, so a provider of radio. And Safras, how are you? I'm good, thank you. It's lovely to see you, Saf. Of course, you, Saf, you are both a consumer and a provider, because obviously um, what we're doing now is a form of radio. So to start off, Saf, just tell us something about what kind of radio you listen to? How, how did you get into radio? When did you first start listening? Yeah, I would say I'm a consumer first. I've been a consumer all my life. Uh, radio has played a massive part in my life, uh, in my upbringing, uh, starting from the days when I was watch, listening to Radio WM, um, the Asian Network, a channel which is a, a local BBC channel, but they had uh, certain sections in there, certain time frames where we had uh, Asian music. Uh, which was a new thing for me at that time. And really listening to Radio 1 in my youth, um, number of radio stations really, to be frank with you. I've had periods where I've been listening to Radio 4 for about two, three years, uh, Talk Radio, Virgin Radio, uh, you name it, I've listened to quite a few. Sometimes have you found that over the years your, uh, you know, your radio tastes have changed? Perhaps when you were younger, you listened to Radio 1 and uh, and you've kind of moved up the scale and Radio 2 and then... How over the years has your... I've, I've flip-flopped a little bit. I mean, I, I would say I'm, I'm currently um, flicking through sort of uh, smooth radio and uh, uh, local radio stations. I'm finding that local radio stations are giving me more value, particularly in terms of some of the things that you you don't get from you know, mainstream uh, radio, mainstream TV or mainstream media, uh, local interviews, um, uh, and local events. So I'm, I'm sort of focusing a little bit more on just the, the local radio at the moment, but I do go through various things. So in the morning I might listen to a little bit of LBC. So sometimes it depends on the, the presenter. So I've had a fair phase where Chris Evans, I was really into Chris Evans, Steve Wright in the afternoon, uh, Nikki Campbell, and sort of these sort of you know, big names really. And then locally, uh, back in the day, uh, Tony would probably remember Danny Chiranji, uh, DCS and yeah. those sort of guys and big, big sort of stars. And obviously we've got a massive star with us today. Tony Adams, really appreciate you coming and uh, supporting us and being a big fan of your uh, station. I've been luckily 
uh, on your channel a few times as well. So thank you for the opportunity. Let's invite the gentleman you've been talking to to join the conversation. Tony, how are you? Yeah, very good morning, Adrian. Good, excellent. Um, Tony, tell us a little bit about your radio life. How did you start? Oh, wow. Uh, a very good morning, Staff. Thank um, you. Um, well, okay, so um, I landed at the BBC at the age of 18, going back in 87. What people may not know is I actually suffer from stuttering and stammering. So mm. I, I'm a stammerer. Um, very, very short, it, just in, in three sentences, I ended up in a, what I would have thought was a British telecom job at 1819. What it was actually was an 0898 premium right line service. Uh, which was advertising various services. And at that time, uh, the service was based around um, uh, arranged marriages um, and, and just contacts around that industry. So where people could call in on a premium rate line, 35 people, blah, blah, blah. And we do obviously get the, uh, the compatibility. But the journey into radio actually, Adrian, was <clears throat> when I went in for the interview, here I am, a stutter and stammerer, and I've been given a script. And my, my world was just... At a, almost at an end, I was told to go into a cubicle and read this script. I did. So five, four, three, two, and one, the red light came on in the studio and I found my voice. And the rest is history. So if you're an, orm- an enormous believer in the power of can do, and isn't that a wonderful story about somebody who's got a stammer basically earning their living by speaking? It's, 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 <laughs> Absolutely. When I've, I, I, first time I've heard that as well, Tony. I mean, you, yeah. you, thank you for sharing that with us. Uh, I've, I've always regarded Tony as a professional. I've said that many times. Uh, and Tony, you are a professional, somebody that I look up to and uh, you know, and, and I listen to and I, I often go to for, for tips and uh, for you to share that with us. I think that's fantastic thank and uh, inspiration for all of us. Yes, and an inspiration for people that listen as well because, you know, somebody out there with a stamina, stammer or some kind of challenge might think, well, I'd, I'd love to have a go at that, but I can't. And Tony's saying actually by demonstrating that, that you can. So talking about radio, we communicate through all sorts of senses. We communicate um, visually, you know, body language is very important. We communicate through touch. But I suppose that words, speech is perhaps... The, the biggest way in which we communicate, if you take writing out of the equation. What for you makes radio special, a bit different from the other means that we communicate with? So in terms of the talk type based radio, uh, when there's a conversation, I feel that's much more intimate. It feels like it's a one-to-one. You're more engaged, more listening, more attuned, uh, and you're traditionally focused. However, radio also gives you the ability, depending again on the station and what's going on, for you to do other things as well. So it could be background. It, you know, I've had radio uh, at work, so I used to be a security guard. Uh, and, you know, you're doing 12-hour shifts, and, yeah. and radio keeps you company throughout the night. It keeps you company on your 12-hour shift, and you can carry on, you know, uh, working, and you can carry on doing what you're doing, and, and it's there, and it keeps you company. So I've, I've found radio as a, as a mechanism to you know, f- f- to keep your company, it's, a, it's a obviously in some cases, it's, you, know, you know, interviews or conversations, you know, people coming on board and, you know, it's a form of engagement. So for me, it's very intimate, but at the same time, it can be background in terms of, you know, carrying on uh, with, with your other activities. So, you know, it's, it's you know, I, I flicker through both really. 
Tony, what do you think makes radio a bit different? I think it's it's an individual pres- preference, isn't it? I mean, as uh, Safra has alluded to, I mean, um, you know, you may have a certain uh, taste of uh, music of a certain genre. Uh, and of course, with radio, we've got just so much choice at the moment, haven't we? Uh, I come from a generation where I uh, I grew up with and listened to Steve Wright on mm. Radio 1. Uh, it was a Steve Wright show. Um, and then, of course, it was a Sunday chart show, which we used to record on cassette tapes and, yeah. and then listen back. But then, of course, over the years, as my journey into uh, journalism uh, went through, then, of course, uh, Radio 4. It was the de facto Mm. platform where journalists not only compiled reports, but listened to breaking stories as well. But me, personally, I think over the years, again, I think I've I've definitely served different channels. Uh, And again, for me, it's more about local news. I think we've lost local news, um, or certainly that element in, in broadcasting, certainly in the radio industry. And that's now evolved, Adrian, because we have now what's called community radio stations, which is given a complete different choice for the local communities. And again, very engaging. It's very, very informative. And it's very precise for that particular listener. Have you taken part in phonings and that kind of thing on radio? Because one of the things that radio does do, which television really finds very difficult, is to actually directly engage with the listener. Uh, and the talk show on radio, there's plenty of them around and they give people the opportunity to, to make a contribution. Is, is that something you've engaged with in the past, Staff? And what's your experience of some of the smaller radio stations, the community stations that Tony mentioned? Yeah, I'm a big fan of... Uh community radio stations of uh, Radio Ramadan uh, whenever that comes up obviously in the period of Ramadan I, I tend to switch over to that because that's very special it's very niche you know what you're getting into and I think that's the, that's the key it has a community radio stations a Radio WM definitely at a time when there's conversations going on about a Trojan horse and I know Trojan horse is back in the news but that was something that really got me going and uh, I, I did phone in particularly because I was living in that area and, and I had a vested interest and I was engaged in that particular conversation. Other areas, or, uh, in other uh, other occasions, uh, luckily I've been invited to come in and, and, and say a few words, whether it's to do with enterprise business or BAME aspect of it, and, and I've, and I've used, utilized that, that opportunity. But yeah, definitely niche, local, uh, is something that I'm, uh, I'm focused on. We've got uh, obviously BBC local news, but we've also got independence. And I think uh, independents uh, have a massive place. And then you've got all these community radio stations, uh, hospital radio stations and many others, which give the opportunity to individuals to come up uh, into um, the role. What's your approach to engagement, Tony? I mean, on the, you, you have a daily programme on Radio XL. Um, do you have people phone in and, and talk and, and just help us with how you sort of kind of control that? Because... You know, people that come onto the radio phone in, you know, they don't probably don't know the Lords of Libel. They don't know, you know, perhaps how always how to conduct themselves. There's always the people who want to ring every day, I guess. Um, you know, a lot of local radio tends to have a lot of regulars. So how do you control that to make sure that there's there's balance and, and everything is kept decent, honest and legal? I think that, I think you've hit the nail on the head. Libel laws, are, as we all know, are so hard to uh, to protect and, of course, to go to court. Uh, and there's many lawyers I know who will just say, Tony, I'm sorry, uh, it's, it's not for us. 
It's it's interesting, Adrian, because um, the show I do on Radio Excel, which is, by the way, an independent station, so um, uh, it got its licence back in 1995. It's been going around 26 years. Primarily a commercial radio station, so uh, um, it's based, obviously, on money, on on, on revenue. Um, And I've been lucky to uh, do both shows. The Breakfast Show, which, as we know in the industry, is, uh, is the premium show. And then The Drive Time, which I've been doing for a number of years. And certainly as a journalist, I think it definitely helps um, because if the show is as it is, it's infotainment. So breaking stories, uh, uh, music, of course, a balance of calls as well. And I suppose I have got the edge uh, sitting there behind the microphone, knowing the laws. So it's actually knowing what you're going to be talking about, how you're going to be carrying on that discussion, and more importantly, steering the listener to making sure mm. he or her or she uh, is well within the realms of, um, well, Ofcom regulations and, and broadcasting. Mm. So uh, you've really got to be on your toes. Yeah, I mean, I want to, stuff just to explore something with you because mm. people may or may not know that as well as journalism, I, I've worked in the corporate world in some um, significant size companies. And one of the things that I learned very early on was for, for a chief executive of a big company, in some respects, the local radio, the phoning program is the one they fear most in some respects because a chief executive at one of the big water companies that I used to work for once said to me, if I've got a Radio 4 interview and I prepare properly and I can talk about the capital program and the, the science of water and, mm. and all the rest of it, that, that's not too bad. I can I can prepare for that, he said. What really gets me, what really worries me is the local radio station where somebody rings up and says, why can't I get a decent cup of tea in Wensbury because the water tastes so awful? So as a, um, as a businessman, how do you feel about talking about your company and its services on radio? Um, is that something that you would... Uh, would have concerns about or would you welcome it as an opportunity? I, I remember, uh, I think for over a ten, period of 10 years, I was listening to Ed Doolan, uh, BBC Radio WM, Tony will probably remember this as well. And on that show, it was a consumer affairs show and you had Ed Doolan fighting for the rights of consumers and he was getting on the phone to National Express, yeah, WM, uh, Travel, the, the local water board, various other organisations and I was a problem solver. And there was two or three people regularly used to come in. Phil Bates was one, he used to run the, uh, uh, the, the bus service and, and a number of other people and he was a consumer champion and I regarded him as very high esteem. He was the guy that you know, solve people's problems. And uh, you are absolutely right. You know, there's some people that wouldn't come on the station, but the power of that channel, the power of uh, a champion, you know, the uh, when you're in broadcast media, you're a journalist, you've got a certain amount of power that comes with that and a certain amount of responsibility that comes with that as well. And when you're able to make the change that you, you can and influence, it's a big thing. And I think, uh, I think there's a responsibility that comes with it. And yes, sometimes the consumer is right. Sometimes they can go a little bit too much as well because they think they've automatically deserved and, you know, big business or business is always in the wrong. It's not the case. And people have this expectation that, you know, if it's a consumer and it's a business, business is always wrong. That's not necessarily the case. And each case is different. But I think where the, the journalist and the broadcaster comes in is really trying to get that balance in. I do absolutely understand we can hit sometimes business a little bit too hard, but it's getting that balance right, understanding the picture, understanding the, uh, the aspect of it. But from my perspective, I've had the opportunity to go on to Solial Radio Station, talk about apprenticeships. I've had the opportunity to go on to stations, talk about the shortage in terms of staffing, 
that businesses are facing. Care, you know, we've got a care business as well that we're facing. I've also had the opportunity to talk about our Asian apprenticeship awards and our baby apprenticeship awards. So it's a fantastic medium to go out there and get your message across. You're probably aware that my brother runs a small radio station as well, and he often talks about community affairs you know local you know whether it's a local fair at the the at the park or those sort of things and, and these conversations uh most radio stations wouldn't be interested in tony i want to explore with you and and Seth as well what i call the democratization of radio in the sense that you know there are people who would not consider themselves to be very old who would remember the time when you know the choice was radio one two three four or the pirates. Uh, and now, of course, there are, I think it wouldn't be unfair to say, literally hundreds of, of radio stations. But I want to ask you, Tony, do you think that that is entirely a good thing? Because what you tend to get, don't you, is segmentation. You know, if, you, if you're interested in a particular topic or you're from a particular community, you might listen to a particular station. Your station that you work on at the present time is aimed primarily at the, the Asian community. Do you think the danger with that is that people tend to create echo chambers? You know, if, you, if you're interested in one particular topic, you, you just listen to one type of programme and therefore you don't get the, the broader mix of content that perhaps you got in, to use an old-fashioned term, I might call the old days. And the other thing which I'd like you both to talk about is, is this proliferation of local radio at the expense of content because to be perfectly honest you know there are a lot of stations talk stations they're just desperate to fill so they'll they'll have anybody on talking at any level of rubbish sorry to use the term so that's a very important point in terms of radio as an educator so tony address that if you would yeah it's interesting but um Let's not forget, we've had COVID for the last two years. So just to give you an example, and I think Saf has already alluded to a station um, that I actually set up with a very good friend of mine in the heart of Alam Rock, which is a, a, a really deprived, what, what people would call a deprived inner city area, Arb Giovars. And the reason for that was because there was just so much going on and because the uh, the mass information was so general, it wasn't penetrating the what we would call the South Asian community. And of course, we know uh, with the advent of all the research and of course, whatever's happened through COVID, uh, the Asian community was hit very hard uh, with, with COVID-19. And this particular station was at the helm of providing a very invaluable uh, service for that community and has done, uh, I think, over the last two, three years. So it's done immensely uh, well. It's really hit the nail on the head. Where other stations, for example, BBC Local Radio, um, they were scattering around. Unfortunately, journalists were having to do some extensive work uh, trying to get all the data where these particular chaps knew exactly what was going on. They knew exactly how to engage with the local NHS workers and key workers and, of course, all the other service providers and relay that information in four or five different languages, which I don't think a normal BBC Local Radio station could do. But it's interesting, hasn't it, how radio has evolved and how stations have evolved. I was actually speaking to our own CEO only a few days ago um, at Radio Excel. When Excel launched back in 2005, it was, wow, you know, it's, it's, it's great. It's, mm. it's new, it's funky. But what's actually happened, Adrian, over the years, it's become an old gold station. Mm. So where kids were listening or in the teens and 20s, they've now got married. Um, they've got kids of themselves. So really, it's a third, fourth generation. Even my own children, they won't listen to me on Radio Excel. They said, 
don't. It, it, your music doesn't taste for, it's not fit for purpose. So, yeah. and they'll listen to something else. You know, you can't blame these kids, mm-hmm. can you? You can't blame communities. Um, so old gold, I think, is definitely uh, is something we're going to be uh, hearing more about. Staff too much choice, do you think? Not necessarily. I think uh, I think what you find is that the uh, mainstream stations often are focused on the local stations because that's where they get their sort of breaking news. They get the insights in terms of what's going on. They've, they've got to go and get news from somewhere. They've got to go and find opportunities to talk to people. And often it's these local community stations that bring up the stars, bring up the issues and, and then sort of filter upwards to a certain level. And as Tony absolutely said, uh, the local community stations did a fantastic job, phenomenal job over the period to get the information out there. Uh, even the local BBC stations wouldn't have or any other stations because it's the local people getting the message out in a way that it's about trust at the end of the day. You know, local communities trust the local stations because they know who the presenters are, they know who the people are, they know who the who often the guests are, and you don't get that often with some of the other stations. We're doing this broadcast, um, fingers crossed, when the, the situation has, has eased. Uh, where did you get your information from during the height of the covid pandemic was it was it radio was it television was it newspapers was it chatting over the garden fence well it's a combination i think it's a it's a combination i mean if some of your contacts are professionals they, they have sometimes insight information uh you know we were in the education we're in the education and the care sector so we were getting bulletins from government as well directly and uh, getting emails uh, in terms of updates on a regular basis because we were at the forefront uh home care care you know people providing care in the community was at the forefront education was also affected adult education our classes you know working with the job centers on employment so we, we were lucky enough to have that regular updates on a daily basis directly from government sources, local government associations and uh, local NHS trusts as well. So that was a key part of our information, but generally understanding what, uh, you know, my sort of uh, close relatives and friends most of whom were getting their information from other people. Uh, and uh, sometimes it was scaremongering. Unfortunately, sometimes it's from Facebook and TikTok and various other people who are pretending to be, you know, at the forefront of knowledge or information. And often it's just there to get sound bites and, and misinformation. So it's, you know, some, so I had, a, I think, a dual role there to try and direct people back into a reliable source. And from my perspective, you know, I can't direct them to Radio 4 or, or sort of the BBC. I've got directed to something which is more fit for purpose um, and something which they can engage with and understand and and in more, in some cases it's the language barrier as well you know people got to realize in some cases some communities and it's not just about the south asian community we've got a lot of these european communities in and around uh where we live where they were getting information again from local stations who had sections in there for for that particular community yeah, as well i want you just to talk about one business um Seth element of this and then i'd like tony to sort of share his thoughts and that's about trust you we have all these radio stations i mean obviously you know the bbc and i I think the bbc is a great institution i make no bones about that but the bbc and, and the big broadcasters are regulated there is a requirement for them to be balanced in terms of what they do do you worry stuff when you're listening to a commercial station that they are perhaps influenced by, you know, the, the people that are paying the money, the sponsors, the advertisers. Do, do they have a sometimes a vested interest to put a particular 
point of view. And do you also have concerns about independent and small stations in the sense that there might be a tendency to push a particular agenda and not be balanced? And, and, and if you could address that, Saf, and then Tony, you could come in and explain what sort of regulation applies to independent and community stations. But Saf, do you, do you trust what you listen to on the smaller stations? It depends on who it is as well, and it depends on the topic. I mean, I generally tend to trust the local stations uh, because it is it is local. It's people that I know. At the the independence, from my perspective, I have no issues with because it's very clear when there's an advert. It's very clear when it's the person talking, and it's very clear when there's a topic or conversation going on. And what I find is that uh, journalists and uh, uh, radio presenters make uh, a big deal to try and remain independent and and have that voice of reason and present the argument or the debate in both sides. You know, I've I've listened to many stations where you know it's a uh, and particularly in terms of the Asian radio stations where there's topics you know in terms of arranged marriage or various other things that are that are taking place divorce and there's so many taboo types of you know i mean i'm taboo in in, in sort of speech marks or quotation marks types type topics that uh, you know people get uh, quite emotional and what i find is that you know from my perspective the presenters are you know, trying to get a balance right. Uh, in terms of uh, self-interest, you know, BBC has had uh, mud thrown at it, you know, a number of times. So, you know, BBC, yes, we know we're, we're all supporters of BBC here. I'm, I, I am as well, and I'm a big fan of BBC, and BBC has been, been part of my life. But we, we've seen the issues with the BBC itself, and that's not about uh, advertising. It's about self-interest and it's about people at the top who are looking after themselves and have a certain bias. You know, if you talk to somebody from a particular party, they'll say, well, BBC supports the other party. You talk to the other party, they'll say they support the other party. BBC is in a, in a situation where, unfortunately, it's easy for us to throw mud at. So it's not necessarily the beacon to say this is the beacon of trust. It, it, you know, it depends on the view and we can debate about the BBC for, you know, forever and a day uh so yes i'm a yes we're big supporters of the bbc and i said you know bbc local station has played a big part of my life bbc radio one radio two steve Wright in the afternoon for me chris evans as well in in his day even people who were in originally in the in the pilot stations have moved over then to bbc and yes definitely a change that's needed but hope it doesn't go away but in terms of your trust, I think, uh, just to say independents uh, are more likely to go down a road of being biased, I, I don't I don't agree with that at all. I want to bring you, Tony, in on this one. I mean, as far as the BBC is concerned, I, I hear people say that the BBC is biased. I don't believe that. My criticism of the BBC is that people like Gary Lineker and, you know, pop jockeys like Zoe Ball are earning a damn sight more money than, you know, the, the, the men and women who are at the time of our broadcast, you know, broadcasting from the Ukraine, mm. which seems a bit crazy to me. Tony, somebody once said, if the BBC got, got an exclusive interview with God, they wouldn't be able to use it unless they could get in touch with the devil and allow him the right of reply. What what regulation is there in the sort of stations that you work for in terms of um, having to be balanced? Yeah, that's interesting. So uh, we have the UK regulator, which is Ofcom, uh, which governs broadcasting generally uh, throughout the UK. Does Ofcom uh, apply to community stations as well? Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, and then within the, the radio industry, we have the the radio authority who actually issue the licences here in the UK. The spectrum for FM and AM licences are almost now at a standstill. There won't be any more licences issued. 
And hence why um, Ofcom is now trying to promote more community radio stations, which they which they do actually get, you know, every sort of six, seven months. But on the advent of that now, we're actually seeing smaller stations cropping up, which we call hyper-local radio stations, which effectively what Arpki was mm. is actually is in, uh, in the heart of Alan Rock. But, you know, the industry's changed, Adrian, for, for a number of years. And I'm, I'm quite privileged to say I, the best years of my broadcasting, certainly my journalism road, was uh, within the BBC. No two ways about it. A great institution. However, is it fit for purpose in 2022 and beyond? And, of course, we're now talking about the licence fees. I think it is value for money. Uh, can we trust the BBC? Well, let's talk about the, the world population. The World Service, for example, an invaluable service uh, for expats all over the world, uh, and they do tune into the World Service. I think it's always going to be here. I don't think it's going to go. Um, what does it mean for commercial stations? They've got to up their game, absolutely. Uh, community stations will also need to uh, look further afield. And it's interesting, isn't it, really? Even within the commercial radio sector, uh, you're looking at the BBC almost um, touting for talent. Mm. In fact, they are now coming to the smaller stations and saying, uh, Joe Dodd, you sound very good, but how would you like a gig at the BBC? And that's the way it's evolving. But I think, unfortunately, um, we've seen names like Steve Wright, like Zoe Ball, institutions for 20 years plus, and they seem to have gigs where black broadcasters or certainly mm. uh, broadcasters from the baby community, they hit a glass ceiling and uh, after five or six years, it's almost end of the road, unfortunately. Do you believe that there's, uh, I mean, we, we are kind of starting to run out of time, but I think this is an important issue. Do, do you feel, South as um, somebody as a, as a British Asian, do you think there uh, is enough radio out there for people from different ethnic backgrounds? Tony and I were having a discussion earlier on today and, and uh, I, I find it very difficult to come up with more than two or three names if I talk about Asian uh, radio presenters who are at the standard of, say, in my eyes, uh, from a personal perspective at a, at a sort of a national, international uh, BBC standard. There's not many. And and it's not because there's lack of talent. It's just the fact that they've not had the opportunity. There's no mechanism for them to go through. I think BBC has particularly a responsibility because of the institution that it is to bring more people through to the foray. I mean, we've had issues in the past where the local BBC Asian uh, station uh, was at risk of being closed down as well. And we all got together. You know, I signed the petition myself because I thought, you know what, well, that's a big loss loss of a, an opportunity there. He has a role. Uh, obviously, the independents have a role, but BBC has an extra responsibility, more so, I think, than anybody else because of the way it is funded and the way it is in our society. But yes, you know, there's a handful. There's just not enough. I, I can't think of any, you know, real names. And, and whenever you think about radio presenters, you, you unfortunately keep going back to, you know, presenters from 30 years ago, 40 years ago, 25 years ago. It's the Steve Wright in the afternoon. It's all these, you know, the big sort of big players. Emily, I think uh, Emily Matus who's gone on to uh, uh, LBC. It's all those sort of players that are, that are there because they attract people. They recognize names, but you have to give the opportunity to new talent. Uh, fresh talent and it's not always about young talent as well it's about people who have you know effective contribution that they can bring in I did some notes for this broadcast and, and there are so many topics that we've touched on and there's a lot of topics that we could have talked about that we just didn't have time uh, Saf I think you know, we'd like to give a sort of blast word to Tony yeah, on, on this particular one Tony I just want you to um, 
And of course, we've talked about Steve Wright in the afternoon. What about Tony Adams in the afternoon <laughs> uh, on Radio XL? <laughs> Tony, just in 30 seconds, if you can, um, what, what's the future for radio? I think radio is uh, instilled in British society, certainly in the UK. I think it's here to stay. I think radio is so receptive. It's an instant medium. Um, it's a great channel of uh, of passing that information. Um, and I think, it, 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 honestly, it's looking very rosy. In fact, if we look at the RAJAR figures, uh, which is actually produced by Ofcom, uh, the uh, listenership during COVID has probably seen the, the highest at its peak over the last four to five years. So radio has played a pivotal role. I think it will continue to do so. Uh, and I think we're uh, just generally, I think we're sport for choice at the moment. Mm. Staff, I'm sure we'd like to thank Tony, wouldn't we, for a very insightful and uh, i suppose you know we almost leave with more questions than answers Mm -hmm. but um it's been great hasn't it absolutely tony's taken us down memory lane we've had a fantastic conversation and uh, again thank you tony for all your support i hope that our listeners agree that we've had a fantastic conversation and if that is the case i hope that they will like uh subscribe and also give us your feedback because you know an important part of communication is hearing what the the, the listener um, thinks of what we're doing. So um, thank you for everybody for listening. Time has caught up with us again. We're going to bring this canny conversation with a cause to a close. Stay safe till next time. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to this Canny Conversation with the Cause. These conversations are based upon the Canny Bites books by Safraz Ali, available on Amazon. To find out more, go online and visit Saf's website, pathwaygroup.co.uk, or join him on social media. He can be contacted at safraz at pathwaygroup.co.uk. Canny Conversations with the Cause are produced by Pathway Group, who have a mission to change lives through skills and work. And they do this through upskilling and reskilling individuals by getting them firstly into sustainable employment and tackling the talent and skills issues commonly faced by businesses. In addition to their core skills and employability business, Pathway Group also actively promote diversity, equality and inclusion and have initiated causes such as the BAME Apprentice Network, the BAME Apprenticeship Awards and the Festival of Apprenticeships. This is a 1386 audio production. 